0: I don't know about some of those details that they just gave. My son, he's something. And so uh, so anyway, we are so glad you guys are here with us tonight. We've already had two great services, and this is our third to wrap it up. I like a late-night crowd, so we're going to get through this together. Uh, I, one of my favorite things about Christmas Eve, and even Christmas night, but Christmas Eve particularly is when you leave here, I like to drive through town and see everything closed. I don't know why, it's like this, this satisfying thing to see all of that and everything turned off and shut down and stuff. It's just an interesting time of year. And so it's Christmas, I hope you're ready. Um, I found out that Dollar General's open till 10, but you guys won't get out of here before then, so tough luck. All right, so one of the things that I've learned over the last uh, 10 years almost of being a parent, and you guys can relate to this, um, It is a magical time for kids. For me, and probably most of you, it is the most exhausting thing that exists, is Christmas. It is exhausting. It is nonstop. There's all kinds of things happening. Not going to get much sleep tonight, you know, and then tomorrow it's going to be crazy. We're going to go visit all kinds of people. And so it's just kind of an exhausting time. Um, But to be able to take some time every year, especially Christmas Eve and the night before last night, and just spend some time together and talking and singing some songs, um, and Christmas, I think that what's interesting about it is it's, it's different, but it's always kind of the same. Does that make sense? And so every year, it's kind of the same rhythm, the same pattern. The story that I'm going to tell you guys tonight, um, it's not like there's any new details that have come out, right? It's kind of the same thing, and so you expect me to talk about it, but it's kind of this weird thing um, that we do. But the other thing that's weird about Christmas is just all of the stuff that comes with it. And I was trying to, like trying to do some research about this, just all of the things and all the traditions and all the habits and things that we do when it comes to Christmas time. Uh, one of my favorite comedians, Jim Gaffigan, he has a bit about the oddity of Christmas. And he says, you know, you cut down a tree and bring it inside. You take your decorations and put them outside. Then you hang your socks on your fireplace and fill them with candy. It kind of sounds like the behavior of a drunk person, right? I mean, it just is, it's kind of this weird thing. And the whole thing we do so that tonight a man will break into your house and eat your food and leave you gifts, right? I mean, it's just... It's a weird thing, and we all do it for Jesus. And so, uh, it's just a weird thing. I mean, even like Santa Claus and Saint Nick. If you know the story of how Saint Nick kind of got started, one of my favorite stories about Saint Nicholas is that um, in 325, in the Council of Nicaea, um, they're having a debate about the deity of Christ, and this is when they're starting to make uh, Christmas kind of a, a holiday, and they're having this debate about it. And Saint Nick is arguing with this guy named Arius. And they're arguing about the deity of Christ and how we should celebrate it and all that stuff. And St. Nick gets so mad at Areas that he stands up, walks over to him, punches him in his face, and knocks him out. Right? So there's Santa Claus for you. And uh, that's true, by the way. And so it's just this weird time. And then the story itself um, is just an interesting story, right? It's the story of a baby born in the Middle East um, to teenage parents who have to go on the run from the law after he is born. They end up in Egypt. There's donkeys and shepherds and wise men who actually come much later in the story. So if you have a manger scene, you need to put them like seven miles away because they're not even close to the manger, Um, who bring strange gifts that we don't understand. And then to kick it all off, um, the whole time everyone claims that she was a virgin, right? Right? I mean, isn't this an odd story? This is a story that if in modern day context, you would probably see on Jerry Springer, right? I mean, it wouldn't be like this holy story that we've made it into. And it's this strange story, and everything that comes from it is kind of this oddity, and yet this story endures. For thousands of years, this story has continued to resonate with people and in different cultures and civilizations, To the point that you can go just about anywhere in the world, and even if they don't celebrate the tradition, you don't have to explain the nativity scene. They know what it is. They know what it represents. Now, this story that we all know or are familiar with first starts as an oral tradition, and so it kind of passes along throughout this region, and then eventually it gains this kind of resonance that people start to relate to this story, that eventually it gets written down around 50 to 70 AD, and it becomes recorded as the gospels. And thousands of years later, we get together, we wear odd sweaters, we drink eggnog, and wake up to open presents, all because something happened through this story. Now, all month long here at Journey, and if you're new, we're so glad you guys are here with us, just checking us out tonight. But for those of you that have been kind of following this along, we're in this in-between series. And in this series, we've been kind of taking a look at all of the stuff that led up to the Christmas story. It didn't just come out of nowhere, like there was a building up until this moment. And so in this story, we've been kind of looking at kind of the behind the scenes, especially in the Old Testament, which is a part of the Bible that a lot of people are unfamiliar with, and it can become confusing at times. But so far in our story that we've been going through, it starts with a tree, and then a temptation, and then a tragedy, and then a promise, and then an altar, and then an announcement. And tonight, there's a manger. Now, what we haven't talked about too much, but is very central to the story, is that thousands of years before the Christmas story takes place, um, one of the central kind of underlying things that happens in all of this that we've been talking about all month long is is this um, claiming of this certain piece of land. There is a piece of land that um, several groups had their eyes on and have been going after, and it's a piece of land that even till this day, people are still fighting over. But it's a land that was promised to a particular Hebrew tribe, and at one point, they're allowed to enter the land, to claim the land. They drive out the people living there, and even after that, there's all this turmoil that takes place, and there's all of these things that happen within this land that they've been promised. And then eventually, one particular king rises up from within the people, and he brings peace to all of the land. And not only does he bring peace to the land by conquering everything around it, but he drives fear into the hearts of anyone who would try to take this land from these people. And this man is this name that you're probably familiar with. His name was David, as in King David, as in David and Goliath. A story that even if you've not spent much time in church or in the Bible, you're probably familiar with that at least every year during the NCAA tournament. There are going to be some references there. David was 38 years old or about 30 years old when he became king. And he reigned for about 40 years. And so in this once volatile piece of land, a man came to power who kind of brings peace to the area, but he also brings prominence to the people that it was promised to. So there's a period of time where this group of people kind of have like a national prominence around the region. And what's interesting is that this this David um, that many of us are familiar with, he becomes kind of like this mythological person. I mean, he he becomes larger than life, and even early on, we see songs being written about him and stories being told about him of all of his accomplishments. What was interesting about David is not only is this prominent figure and this electric figure, especially in this culture, but he's also kind of this interesting character, because he also comes from poor and humble beginnings. And, And there's scenes where we see that he's this mighty warrior, but he can also be gentle and plays his harp. He takes care of these animals, but he also has the ability to chop off the head of Goliath and become a one-man wrecking crew. And so this myth kind of builds up behind him. And what happens is, as he rises to prominence and this kingdom rises to prominence, all of the people start to take notice. But then, just like all of our stories and every story of every human being that's lived, eventually David dies. And when he dies, everything that he's worked towards starts to fall apart. His sons come in and they make a mess of things, and then the descendants of his sons come in and make even a greater mess of things. And over a period of time, this great moment of prominence and pride starts to fall. And what happens is there's a group of people that come in and invade the land and take the land for themselves. It starts with the Assyrians and the Babylonians and then the Persians, and then a name you may be familiar with, and Alexander the Great. And then eventually, at the point where we have our Christmas story, Rome has taken over. Rome is a very fascinating study if you've never done much studying of the Roman Empire, but Rome essentially conquered the world. And the way that they conquered the world was through force and fear, through intimidation. There's a term that you guys may be familiar with, it's called Pax Romana, it's the peace of Rome. And for Rome, they felt like the world was in peace because they controlled the world, they dictated what happened everywhere else. But for everybody else, it was a time of chaos. And fear, especially for this group of people who have once owned this land and had this prominence, but it's been stripped from them. And so a thousand years go between David and the story we find ourselves in. A thousand years of defeat and humiliation and being conquered and enslaved, having your pride ripped from you. And so if you're a good, God-fearing, first-century Jewish person, you've lived with this defeat and shame, and and what's interesting is you're supposed to have the God who's above all the other gods, and yet, for some reason, it feels like you keep losing, and all you want is for it to go back to the way it once was, and that sentiment, I think, that we can all relate to, especially as we enter out of 2021, right? Right? that we wish that in some ways it could go back to the way that it once was. I mean, do you guys remember 2019? It was pretty good, right? And then the last two years have just been thing after thing after thing. And so they wanted a new David. They wanted someone who would come in and be a warrior and lead them to the land of prominence and lead them to the mountaintop. Again, that's what they hoped for. But as we've seen over the last few weeks, the system is messed up. Even the religion has become stale and cold. Things aren't going well. And at this point in the story, there's been 400 years of silence, as we talked about last week. And people seem lost and hopeless. The story has gone off the rails. And then enters the character that nobody saw coming a teenage girl. Have you ever met one of these, a teenage girl? (laughs) This is the part of the story that no one saw coming. And so this first story circulated early on in the tradition and eventually it's around in the gospel of Matthew and, and Luke about Mary. Mary who was pledged to be married to a man, a descendant of David himself named Joseph. And a plan is set before her of what God is going to do in the world and her role in it. And the Bible tells us that when she hears all of this, that she's deeply troubled, as any of us would have been as well. And the angel wants to assure her that this is the plan from the beginning. And so in Luke chapter 1, some of the famous verses of the story of Christmas, we see the angel speaking to Mary. And here's what it says. It says, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid. And we talked about this before, and we've talked about it again, that the idea of do not be afraid or fear not is one of the most commonly used phrases in the Bible. This idea of God having to remind us that he's got it under control, even when it seemingly doesn't appear so. so he says, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father. And here's that name, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now imagine that you heard that. And you heard the name David. And you heard the word kingdom. And you heard that it will never end. What do you think is about to happen? There's no way to take the political realities out of this story from the world that they lived in. And so anyone that heard this story, they believe there's going to be a new David, which means that he's going to throw off the Romans and the land will have peace and they will have rest and they will come to prominence again and there will be greatness. And this king, like David, will rule with a fist. But what we know is that's not what happened. And what happens is not what anybody expected. And maybe that's the point of the story sometimes, is it's not what we want, but rather what we need for them and for us. But something does happen, and that that thing that happened has endured even in the world that we live in. Now, another interesting detail is outside of Mary and Joseph, the first group of people to know that the Savior has been born, that Jesus has been born, is to a group of shepherds out in a field at night. Now, what you have to know about shepherd boys in the first century world is that these were often the lowest of the low. These were poor kids. These were teenagers at at best. So if you have on your manger scene with beards and all that, you need to paint all that off because these were kids. And they're out in a field at night keeping watch over flocks that probably don't belong to them. They're probably in some ways indentured servants of some sorts, or they're keeping the flocks of Rome, or they're keeping the flocks for the priests to be slaughtered at Passover. And this lowly, insignificant group are the very first people to hear the news. And here's how it goes. You may be familiar with these verses. And it says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord, I just said Lord really funny, Lord (laughs) shone around them and they were terrified and you would have been too. We often pretend like stuff like this is normal. An angel appearing is not normal. If an angel appears to you, it is not normal. Something is happening. But the angel said to them, and here's that line. Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of, there's that name again, David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, which means hark the herald angel is completely wrong because they don't sing. They say, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, a couple interesting things about this story. A 14-year-old girl and a group of shepherds out in a field. The most insignificant people you could find within this culture. And Jesus himself is born in a back room or a cave or a farm. To be honest, we really don't know the Greek literally translates back room of who knows where. Jesus is born into this story without the pomp and circumstance a king would normally be brought into this world with. Now, the story of Christmas to me raises some interesting questions I think we have to ponder. Why is it these seemingly unimportant people... In the most unprestigious way possible, is this the story? One of the things that you have to understand about the Bible is, is the way it's written. It's written very differently than most stories. See, most stories, and you know that especially if you study history, um, history is often told from the perspective of the victors. It's told by those that win. And so history accounts are told by the winners, the mighty, the powerful, And yet in the story of the Bible, we see a story unfold by a group of people who were once enslaved in Egypt, and then rise over time eventually to a significantly short period of prominence, and then are put again in a place of oppression, of enslavement. And in this particular story, that enslavement is by Rome. An empire who ruled with the boot of their, the heel of their boot on the neck of the people. What's interesting is the Bible is written from the perspective usually of the oppressed and the downtrodden and the hurting. But it's also the story of a God who hears the cries of his people in those moments, who hears their prayers, and as Paul said last week, we saw who is for them. When we read scripture, we have to understand is that this story is about a God who's on the side of the poor, the oppressed, the refugee, the immigrant, and the forgotten. What becomes clear if you read it is that God seems to be with whoever has been kicked to the edges, whoever's been marginalized, and whoever the system of this world isn't working for. And so maybe the way Jesus comes in isn't that strange at all. In the birth story of Jesus, you have to be clear, and you can study this for yourself if you don't believe me. This is a collision between heavenly forces and the forces of evil that embodied the political and religious powers of the day. Remember the beginning of the story. The announcement is made that a new king is coming, and immediately the king in charge, King Herod, is threatened by this. And so he puts out this decree to kill all of the babies that have been born in a period of time because this is treason. Christmas is the opening act of the story that ends with a crucified and risen Messiah executed for blasphemy and treason, who reigns victorious not because he was mighty and powerful like David, but because he suffered. A man who embraced the blind and the lame, the ones that culture had forgotten about, the Jew and the Gentile, the immigrant and the citizen, And female and male alike. Which, by the way, if you're a woman, you should love the story of Jesus. Because he gives you more dignity than anybody in history had given up until that point. And the irony is that for me, at least, and I can only speak to myself, that I spend the Christmas season frantically stressed by the consumerist pressures of this holiday that only echo the values of the empire that Jesus sought to undermine. Christmas is a season of celebration, but as we discovered last week, it's also for many a season of suffering. And even further into the story, a season of self-denial. The time to remember a newborn king who destabilized society by establishing an upside-down kingdom that confronts and subverts the powers that be. The story is about a divine, divine who is not found in the proud and the palaces of this world, but a, who is found in the least and lowest and last place you would look. A God who's among us with all of our brokenness and heartache. And maybe the beauty of this story is it's a story about a God who isn't afraid to go to the dirty and low and dark places in this world whether it be a manger 2,000 years ago or your heart and mine. So to read the story is to see a divine that steps into the brokenness, who's be willing to be found in the hard places, among the hurting and among the poor and among things significant. Found in places where fear seems to be the only option. Maybe that's why we have to be reminded over and over again to fear not. Because we live in a world where there seems like there's so many things that we should fear. And yet the message was and is, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy. The interesting thing about Christmas is Christmas is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, but for many people in this room, if we're honest, it's a little bit complicated. It's a time of the year where we have people we have to be around, where there's tension under the surface of the relationship. Anybody? Just me? Okay. Unmet unmet expectations. And for some of us, it's the season of sound and light, for sure. But that sound and light cannot drown out the absence of the loved ones that we wished were here with us. The people we just had, we just wish we had one more time around the table with. Another year gone, and look at the world around us. In 2019, I used these same verses as we used our Christmas Eve service, and I, I talked about you know, fear not, and I talked about the idea of the world that we see before us in 2019, not having any clue what was about to happen. And then last year, the optimism, it's getting better. And then 2021 comes in. And we're at the end of the year, fastly approaching what's going to come in 2022. And for many of us, we find it hard and very difficult to believe the promise that we have nothing to fear. One of my my family's favorite Christmas traditions, and I hope that it's one of yours, and if not, it should be, um, is every year we like to watch Charlie Brown Christmas. Now, Charlie Brown Christmas has been around for over 50 years, and so everything I'm about to say right now is going to be a spoiler, but you've had 50 years to watch it, so I don't feel so bad. (laughs) Now, in this famous story that we see of Charlie Brown Christmas, they're trying to put on a Christmas play to celebrate Christmas and what it's supposed to be, and there's all of this confusion amongst the characters of what it's supposed to be. And they're arguing, and they're trying to figure things out, and, and eventually Linus. And, and Linus is a character that traditionally um, is, is kind of timid and shy and second-guesses himself. He, he, he's un, unsure of himself and the decisions of people around him. And, and there's a part in, in the, the Charlie Brown Christmas where they're arguing about it, and Linus takes center stage, and the light comes on him, and he tells the story that we just read from Luke chapter 2. And what's interesting, and I'm not going to play it, but, but you should watch it for yourself, is what's interesting is Charles Schultz decided to do something with this moment. Not only the retelling of the scripture that would be on a national audience, but when Linus gets to the line where the angel tells the shepherd to fear not, for the first time in history and the only time since, when Lana says, fear not, he drops his blue blanket. And it's like this picture that he's believing the words that the angel tells. To fear not. And he recites the rest of the story, and then he walks over and picks up his blanket and moves on. And the blanket represents so many things. It represents a sense of comfort or security. And yet, in this moment, Linus embodies the gospel of fear not. The reality is, is there was an empire that ruled the world two thousand years ago, and there's still empires that rule the world. But fear not, because unto you this day is born a savior. And so the question, I think, for me and the question for you that we have to ponder is if an angel came down to you after you cleaned yourself up a little bit, what would they tell you not to fear? What is the thing that in 2021 and going into 2022 that you're afraid of? What is the thing that has robbed you of your joy this season? One of the interesting things I find when I study scripture is in the, the gospel accounts, there's only two of them that really dive into the birth story. The other two seem not so much to make that the point of the books that they're writing. And all the gospels have a point and an audience and an intention when they're written. What was interesting to me is that John starts his gospel differently. Now, what's fascinating about this detail that John doesn't really get into the birth story very much. What's interesting is that of any of the people that would have actually known most of the details of the birth story, it probably would have been John. When Jesus is on the cross, he looks at John and he looks at his mother Mary and he says, this is your mother now. Essentially, this idea of you take care of my mom. And so as we know from tradition that basically the rest of Mary's life that John takes care of her. And so, if there was anybody that had an insight into those early years of Jesus, and particularly the birth story, it would have been John. And yet, John chooses not to start his gospel focusing on that story, but rather focusing on a promise and a truth that he seems to think is more significant. So, when John writes his gospel, here's what he says In the beginning, the word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. And then here's the line The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now, it's a great Bible verse. But here's why I know that's actually true, is because a group of Gentiles from Bullitt County, Kentucky, are sitting in a room at 941, 2,000 years, and culturally couldn't be any different from this story, and you're here, and not just you, all over the world, There are people gathered tonight celebrating this story because no matter how dark it got and no matter how much the scandals of church history, no matter how much Vespasian or Nero, and you may not know those names, but those were the Caesars that come after this story, and they did everything within their powers to eliminate this story no matter how dark human history has got, the gospel still shines through today. And during the Christmas season, we're all confronted with problems we can't solve. And we'll sit down tomorrow with people we can't control as much as we'd like to and expectations we often can't meet. And maybe we have to remind ourselves in this season is that Christmas isn't the most wonderful time of the year because of just what's happening right now, but because of what's already happened. And maybe Christmas isn't the most wonderful time of the year just because of who's around us, although that's important, but maybe it's so wonderful because it's a reminder of who is with us and who is for us. There's this great verse that John writes later in his letter that he writes to the church in John chapter one, and here's what he says. He says, Perfect love casts out fear. And what many of us need to be reminded of is the love that God had for us. That he sent his son into the lowest of lows, into the darkest of darks for us. And not only does he send him, but but one of the great promises that we see in Matthew chapter 1, 23 is when the angel is talking to Mary, he he says, and when you name him, another name that you're going to give him is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And God is with us even in the dark, even in the mess that we've made of our lives and collectively we've made of this world. He is with us in the pain and the heartache. And so... The message is fear not, because no matter how dark it gets, the darkness cannot overtake it, not then, not now, not ever, and maybe that's why this story story has endured, maybe that's why we're here tonight to sing some songs of celebration, it didn't happen the way anyone expected, and maybe that's the beauty of the story. We weren't given the David that they expected or the king that they expected, but we were given the Savior that we all needed, who came into this world just as we do, to be with us, to walk among us, to bring his light to us, to show us a new way, and to give us a love that could even cast out fear. And for that, we can sing, and we can laugh, and we can dance, and we can wear ridiculous sweaters, and we can drink some eggnog, and we can spend time with our family celebrating the hope that we have in this story. Let's pray.